you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I've entitled this message today, The Hope of the Resurrection. And I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 20 through 26. And it reads as follows. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end, when he delivers up the kingdom to God and Father, and when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. I woke up this morning and the first thing on my mind was, praise God, the Lord has risen. He's risen indeed. I believe I sent out a text message with that earlier this this morning. Praise God, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And today, all over the world, Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today marks the day when we take time to recognize that singular, momentous, defining moment in history the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a great day for believers in Christ. Those who have repented, those who have turned from their sins, those who have confessed their sins and have cried out to God for mercy and have entrusted themselves by faith to Jesus Christ and his finished work of redemption that he did on the cross of Calvary. This day reveals not only the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ had over Satan's sin and death, but it also ensures the victory of the believer over such things from this world, and the culmination of which is our salvation. While most of the world denies the miracle of the resurrection, viewing it as One impossible miracle. I mean, out of all the miracles of Jesus, that one is the one that is the most impossible. No one has ever seen anyone come out of the grave. I've never attended a funeral service or officiated at a funeral service where the person came out of the coffin, got up, and walked out. The world believes if anything is final... If anything is certain, it is death. But in the year 30 AD, someone did walk out of the grave. A tombstone, a huge stone was rolled away, and out came the man, Jesus Christ. Flesh, blood, and bone came out human, went in physical came out physical, and he defeated. It was so momentous an event that history is defined by that very very event. 
right? We are in the year 2023, the year of our Lord, marked by the very day that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And consequently, because of that resurrection, that resurrection changed everything. It changed everything. Paul states in this opening text that we just looked at, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now, I'm not going to go into the evidences of the resurrection, but I want to I share something, something that's pretty pivotal. So persuaded were the early church and the early apostles regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they were warned against preaching, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ they preached, even at the sake of their very lives. Nobody's going to die for something they don't believe in. No man is going to go to his death uh, believing some kind of myth. It's not a myth. The resurrection is the defining moment in the history of this earth. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believers in Christ, believers in Christ have been raised to a living hope. We're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be raised to a living hope? We have been raised to a living hope. As the hymn, The Power of the Cross states, and we sing this week after week, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And this living hope is based on the following truths. And these truths are that believers, one, are raised by the power of God. Number two, that believers are raised to a living hope. And number three, that believers are raised to immortality. Now I'm going to share with you, we're going to go through various scriptures as we take a look at these three principles that are set forth to us in the gospel. And my hope is that today that we would know leaving here that we serve a living Savior, a risen Savior. We're not memorializing. We can have and believers do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And it's that certainty that changes our life. So let's take a look at the first one. Believers are raised by the power of God. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and to 17. The believer is raised by the power of God. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, writes these words For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. These are not words of intimidation. 
He ends that chapter by saying, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Because Christ rose again, every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will rise again. Now let me share something about their resurrection. There is a resurrection unto life, and there is a resurrection unto death. The righteous, the Bible is very clear and explicit, are raised to life, eternal life. And I say this week after week, eternal life doesn't mean perpetual life. In other words, it doesn't mean we're going to be doing what we're doing today. It's just never, never, never going to end. When the Bible talks about eternal life, it talks about eternal life with God, in the presence of God, in the presence of His holiness, in the presence of His angels, in the presence of His paradise. Eternal life is presence. It's life with God. Now you might say, what happens to the person who doesn't believe? What happens to the person who rejects this? There is an eternal life as well. But it's an eternal life in separation from God. It is eternal life in judgment by God. They are cast into, as Jesus said, into outer darkness, away from all light. There is a judgment, there is a certainty the Apostle Paul talks about. He says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But when the scripture talks about, for instance, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That everlasting life is with God. How do we get that everlasting life with God? The dead are raised. This is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For he says, for the Lord himself will descend with a shout. I keep waiting for that shout. I keep waiting for that trumpet blast. But the shout, the command of God, raise. And what does Paul say? The dead, the physical bodies of the believers... Those that are in the grave, the dead shall rise first. Then we which shall remain shall be caught up. It's a great word in the Greek. It means to be snatched. That's exactly what it means, to be snatched up. The dead are going to rise. The believers who are alive at that time are going to be snatched out of the earth. They'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's a great thing that the power of God can command. The power of God can speak that which does not exist. When I go back to New York to see my family, I always go to the grave of my mother and father. And there they all are, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather, all in the same place. And the last time I was there, I was standing there, I said, what a waste this is. What a waste of money. Seriously. The coffins, the plot, you know, all the other different things. And I'm standing there, and there's, there's their graves right at my feet, and I'm like, 
Do they not know that a day is going to come where the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first? And this manicured grass and this plaque and the vault and the coffin and all the other things are going to spring open? We will rise to meet the Lord. Listen, it's important that you understand that Christ was physically raised from the dead. He was not an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. The body that went into the grave was the body that came out of the grave. The nail scars were there. The side was pierced. He would say to Thomas later when he appears to him, he said, hey, Check it out. Put your fingers in the hole. Go ahead, stick your hand in the side. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me. He was raised physically from the dead in that first resurrection. And it's interesting to note that as Christ's body lay lifeless and dead within the tomb, the Holy Spirit quickened that body to life. And we see an excellent, an excellent example of this in the raising of Lazarus from the dead found in John chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. Scripture tells us that Lazarus laid in the tomb. It was the fourth day when Jesus goes over there. And he's in the tomb on the fourth day. And his body is dead and it is decaying. It's dead and decaying. And as Jesus goes, Martha says, Lord, wait, before you roll that stone away, there's a smell. I love the way the King James says it. Surely by now he stinketh. And he's, she's talking about the, the smell of decomposition. But Jesus goes to the tomb and he rolls the stone away. And he doesn't go to the entrance of the tomb and say, Arise! He doesn't do that. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. He spoke the word. He spoke the word. He spoke the word very specifically, and not everybody in that tomb came running out, but Lazarus. And Lazarus came walking out, bound in his burial clothes. We see the same scene at creation before anything was ever created. Darkness was upon the earth. And the Holy Spirit's presence was upon the earth. And it was spoken, let there be light. And there was light. And God spoke into existence all that was and is by the power of his very word. How are believers raised from the dead? They are raised by the power, by the command of God. God speaks life. God speaks it into existence. 
And on that first resurrection Sunday, as Jesus' body lay cold and lifeless in the tomb, the body of Jesus had no heartbeat. It had no brain waves. It had no respiration. It had no life. But just as the Holy Spirit did there at creation, so he did on that resurrection Sunday. And the Holy Spirit spoke life back into the body of Jesus. Then a heartbeat. Then brainwaves started. And he began to breathe. And Jesus emerged from the tomb in the same physical body that he went in. Acts 2, 22 verses 23 and 24 Peter says this on Pentecost. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And as it was for Christ, so it shall be for all who die in Christ. The Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Why the fuss over the Holy Week? Why the fuss over Good Friday and the Resurrection Sunday? Because for the believer in Christ, there is no death. I don't know if we fully realize that. I want to reemphasize that again. For the believer in Christ, there is no death. Your body may expire on this side. But for the believer, it is closing your eyes on this side of eternity and opening your eyes on the other side of eternity. And because of Christ's resurrection, believers have been raised in newness of life, and shall never know death. Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 and 52 says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of, a lie at the, uh, of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. There it goes again. The resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. And at the command of God, all who put their faith and trust in Christ will rise from the grave, receive immortal, immortal, ever-living, new, glorified bodies. Death cannot keep, the believer in, cannot keep the believer in Jesus just as it could not hold Jesus in the grave. Hey, aren't you glad that we don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and there would be a grave and we would have to march around that grave or worship around that grave and we'd all sing, look, it's the body of Jesus. Here's the grave of Jesus. Maybe I could touch the grave of Jesus. Only Christ rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead to give those who believe in Christ a living hope that we could have a certainty, that we could go through life knowing that there is an eternal life, that we do get access to God. Death is 
defeated. Sin and the power of sin is defeated. Satan is defeated. And Christ has won the victory. Christ has conquered sin. Christ has conquered the grave. And today we can all exclaim, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? So we see that first the believer is raised by the power and the command of God. The second thing is the believer is raised to a living hope. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter writes this to the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The Apostle Peter tells us that because Christ is raised from the dead, having defeated sin and death, believers are born again. We're born anew. We're born from heaven to a living hope. What is that living hope? What does that mean when we say we're born born again to a living hope? Well, it's very simply this. It's a certain expectation of that which is inevitable. Let me say that again. It's a certain expectation of that which is inevitable. Inevitable. We can place our faith and our confidence in truth, that which is going to occur. Romans 15:13 the apostle Paul says this, now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of a God of hope. We come together here as a group of believers. We come together here as a body. Why? Because we have a hope and a certainty. We come together because our hope is found in Jesus Christ. The great hymn says, my hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that hope permeates the life of the believer. What do I mean by that? I mean it is that hope that becomes the central aspect of the believer's life. We don't place hope in politics. We don't place hope that maybe one day God is going to give this nation a good president. We don't place hope in the fact that the United States and its military power. We don't place hope in our bank accounts. We don't place hope in, 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 in our doctors and our medical. We know that in just a minute life can change. Our only hope is in what? Is it in Jesus Christ? And that his love for us, I'll speak for myself, my hope is based on Christ. And if Christ so wills that with this last word, I perish, I perish, but I don't perish. My hope is in God, in God's sovereignty, in God's providence over my life. That God is constantly working in my life for his good and for his glory. 
The problem is, is we have a conflict in this life. That's the problem. And the problem is many do put their faith and trust in their jobs or they put their faith and trust in their money. Many do put their faith and trust in their ability and their own ability. Many put their faith and trust in their own sense of righteousness and not in the righteousness of God. And the problem occurs every time that fails us. Every time the world fails us. Every time everything we ever believed in starts to fall apart when we fall to bad health or we lose our job and get laid off or we're bankrupt or we're broken. Then those institutions that we've come to trust, we realize just how fragile they are. There is no fragility in Jesus Christ. The Christ that loved me, the Christ that went to the cross, the Christ that took my penalty and paid it on the cross, the Christ that went into the grave and the Christ that came out of the grave has given me a living hope that no matter what transpires on this earth, including death, I have a certainty and a Savior who loved me and a Savior who gave his life for me, and a Savior that will raise me to be with him. Praise God. This hope that we talk about, this living hope, it's based on the person of God. Now let me share something with you about this. Number one, it's based on the fact that we worship a God who cannot lie. And if God cannot lie, if God is truth, then his word is truth. Therefore, I have confidence and assurance in the very word of God. Because I worship a God who cannot lie. So my confidence is not only in the person of God, but my confidence is in the word of God. And we have confidence in that hope because that hope is nothing less than pure objective truth. It's not something subjective. It's not something touchy-feely, but it is objective truth. God's word is truth. And God applies that confidence, that hope, that living hope, to my heart, and to my life. In 1 John 3, verse 3, the Apostle John talks about this hope. And he says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. This living hope goes beyond the certainty of expectation. This hope makes the believer desire to be more like Christ. Paul speaks of wanting to know him, he says in Philippians 3.10. And he talks about being conformed to his image. And he talks about in Galatians being crucified with Christ. Christ's resurrection was a resurrection to a living hope for the believer. Hence the believer's Resurrection to newness of life in Christ is also a resurrection of hope. 
That great hymn we used to sing often, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future, that life is worth the living just because He lives. This is the point of the resurrection. The Father raised Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, not simply for the Father's vindication alone, but for us, for the believer. Every believer in Christ Jesus will share in this resurrected glory. This is indeed our hope. Why do we come together and sing about a Savior who has been crucified, beaten, scourged, buried, and risen again. Because we have the certainty of that hope. And it is this living hope that is at the heart and center of the Christian faith and why we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10, uh, verse 10, for it is, this, it is this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on a living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. What do we do here? Is it merely tradition? Is it merely liturgy? Is it merely that we are deceived people and we like each other so we like to get together on Sunday? No, it's none of that. We're here because we fix our hope. We labor and strive because we fixed our hope on Christ, the Savior. So we see that the Lord that the believer is raised by the power of God. We see that the believer is raised to a living hope. And here's the third point. The believer is raised to immortality. 2 Corinthians 15.53 reads as follows. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, I know that many of us are familiar with, with the sufferings, the beating, the scourgings, and the crucifixions impact on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what a crown of thorns would have done to his head and face, the effect of the punches and the whippings, the punctures from the nails to his hands and feet, the stab wound to his side. We know that his body would have had bruises of a magnitude that was unfathomable. And in short, the body of Jesus Christ would have been a complete and utter bloody mess. We know that. And we know that Christ's physical body that was placed in the tomb, that it was broken, it was battered, it was bruised, having suffered all the physical effects common to all human bodies when all human bodies are abused. We know that. We also know that the human body is subject to decay and perishing. 
And we see this in the story again of, of Lazarus. As I mentioned previously, when the stone was rolled away, right, what was the warning of Martha? The warning was, hey, decomposition has set in. It's beginning to smell in there. But as Christ was raised from the dead, God did not allow his body to undergo decay. The psalmist in Psalm 16, 10 speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ, states this, For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. The question then becomes then, how was Christ physically raised from the dead? The body that went into the tomb was the same body that came out. It had the distinctive nail prints and the pierced side and the crown of thorns. It was flesh, bone, and blood. Two hands, two feet. But the body of Jesus was raised incorruptible. Christ was raised in a glorified body. And Paul speaks of a similar resurrection for the believer. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he writes, but when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. How will the believer's body be raised from the dead? In the same manner. You know, there's going to be something glorious when we get to paradise and when we see the Lord. I'm so looking forward to that day. I really am. And I know that the Bible says that there's no tears in heaven. And uh, maybe those are sad tears, tears of pain, tears of mourning. But in my simple mortal frame that I'm in today, I know if I were to see Christ as he is, that I can't help but believe that I would fall at his feet and cry like a baby. And those will be tears of joy, not tears of sadness, to be able to touch and to be able to embrace my Lord. The scripture tells us that the believer is going to be raised from this mortal body to an immortal body. It is sown perishable. It's a body that decays. I mean, just look at me. You could see decay all over me, right? It's that which is ages. It gets sick. It gets injuries. But at the resurrection, it is raised in mortal. Everlasting. Glorified. What does that look like? Well, I believe it's, I believe it's going to be sim similar I believe we'll have two hands, two feet. You look at Jesus was raised from the dead, right? He was raised. But I want you to know something. That on that great day, after the dead in Christ have risen, after we've been given glorified bodies, that on that great day, when we get to see our Lord Jesus Christ, the body he was raised with is the body we will see. And what does that mean? 
I believe he'll still be scarred. I believe he'll still have nail prints. I believe he'll still have the wound to the side. And I believe it's that Jesus that we're going to see ever as a testimony for the price that he paid to purchase us. I spoke Friday night about reconciliation and redemption. That redemption is buying back something with a ransom payment. We're going to see the price that was paid on the body of Jesus Christ. And remember when I told you that I, again, in my simple human mind, I think about falling at the feet of Jesus and crying like a baby. I take that one step even further. I think about falling at the feet and crying like a baby. And when I see those nail prints and I see those scars in the leg and I see the side and I see maybe some of the scars in the face, that I myself will even cry twice as hard. Now, look, I'm going to tell you this is not dogmatic. It is speculative on my part right now. But I do know that when I arise, that these artificial knees that I have are not going to be there anymore. And those aches and pains when I get up are not going to be there anymore. And you know I'm really praying for a lot of hair. You know that, right? I keep mentioning that. But here's the point. This rotten, decaying body This aging body will be no more. I will be raised in newness of life. Every believer who has their faith in Jesus Christ will be raised in newness of life. Maybe it's cancer. You won't have the cancer. Maybe it's COPD. You won't have the COPD. Maybe it's heart failure. You're not going to have the heart failure. You're not going to have any of that. You'll be raised in newness of life. And you know what the best part of that is? Forget all the aches and pain. You know what the best part of that is? I'll be able to lay eyes on the glorious God and not be destroyed because of my fallen body. I'll be able to worship God and I'll be able to worship Christ with purity and I'll be able to worship and not be distracted and I'll be able to worship and and not grow tired and I'll be able to worship Him and glorify Him and I could sing to Him. Even my wife Barbara is going to be able to sing to Him and it's going to be glorious and it's going to be spectacular. And we will not be distracted. We will not be thinking what's on TV. We will not be distracted by smartphones because there will be none. And we could dwell in the glory of holiness. You know what would happen if if God came into this room right now? We're done. We're done. Never lose sight of the fact that God is holy. God is righteous. God is true. Look at how God treated his son when the crimes of all who were charged to his account on that cross, that God had to turn away his face. But on that great day, raised immortal, we will be able to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, glory to God. To me, there's nothing that could be ever more beautiful than that. The Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3. 
He says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But we know that when, he's appear, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And notice how he ends this. I love this. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We will be glorified. The brilliance and the glory of God will not only surround us, but it will exude from us. No corruption, no desire for sin, no scars and defects, no aging, no limps, no aches, no pain. But more remarkable still is that God will consume us with himself. We will delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desire of our hearts. We will be raised, glorified, and immortal. So let's bring this full circle now. Let's bring this all back together. As we've seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ has provided the believer in Christ with an equal resurrection. And we have seen the following. Believers are raised by the power of God unto newness of life and eternal life with God. Believers are raised to a living hope in this life and in the life to come based on the person of God. And believers are raised to immortality with the certainty of the resurrection unto eternal life. Listen, the cross, the empty tomb, all point to something more significant for the one who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. In light of these three incredible certainties attained for us by the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to ask the following questions now. Have I been raised by the power of God? If so, if your answer to that is yes, God has equipped you to follow him and do his will. I want to say that again. If you say, yes, I've been raised in newness of life, then you've been equipped to follow Christ and to do his will. And all who encountered the resurrected Christ all that we see in Scripture who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ were empowered to do mighty works. God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. So have you been raised to newness of life? The second question have you been raised to a living hope? Those who encountered the resurrected Jesus, listen, you know what they did? They disposed of the shackles of this life. They were able to get rid of the shiny objects that so easily distract us and, and vie for our attention and our devotion. The Apostle Paul put it this way, and I think this really sums it up great. For me... To live is Christ and die is gain. What was he saying? 
He's saying that in this life, my life is Christ's life. My will is Christ's will. My desire is Christ's desire. And you know what? If in the process of doing that I should die, guess what? I gained. I graduated. Are you living for this world? Do the problems and the shiny objects of this world blind you, distract you? How much of your affections are toward the things of this world and how much of your affections are toward the work and the will and the love of Christ? Are your eyes set on the kingdom of God? There's a third question. Have you been raised to immortality in Jesus Christ? Do you have the certainty of the resurrection unto life? If you were to die today, if the moment you walk through those doors out of here, you were to perish, are you 100% certain that you shall see God and you shall dwell in his presence there is no other question that is more important than that question. Now, some of you can answer that question and say, yes, I'm 100% confident because I have placed my faith and trust in him. I've turned from my sins. I've, I've, I've totally abandoned everything except my hope in God's mercy through Jesus Christ. I've repented. I've I've turned from sin and I've turned to Christ. I've confessed my sins unto the Lord. Here, here's a bulletin, by the way. A lot of people don't want to confess because they don't like what they hear. God knows it anyway. He knows it anyway. And he calls you to confess. And he calls you to repent of your sins. Have you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The believer in Christ answers these questions with a resounding yes. Yes, I have. I'm going to say something too personally. The hardest thing I ever had to do in my life being raised a pastor's grandson and a pastor's kid, being raised in the church, the hardest thing I had to come to admit was that I was an unholy, filthy sinner and I had to say my sins to Christ. But the greatest thing I ever did was to confess my sins to Christ and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The greatest affection of the believer, the heartbeat of the believer, is indeed Christ. 
And we desire to delight ourselves in the Lord and we desire that the Lord would give us the desire of our heart and that desire is Him, it's Himself, it's His presence. And that is where my eternity is going to be spent. But if your answer is no to any of these questions, God has placed you here on this Sunday to hear the message of truth. No one has to die with uncertainty. Nobody has to live a miserable existence in this life, trusting all the things of this world. And as they fail you one by one by one by one, to be desperate and bankrupt and say, everything's so miserable. You might say, Listen, Pastor, you don't know me. I got some big time problems. I don't care. I don't mean that callously. I mean that in the sense that there's nothing that you are experiencing that God cannot save you from. You might say, Pastor, you don't know. I'm a real mess, man. I've done some really bad things in my life doesn't matter. There was a thief on the cross that was right next to Jesus. He didn't have time to go to church. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to become a member. He didn't have time to do any of those things. You know what he had time for? He had time to look at his life and say, hey, we're hanging here for something we did. Father uh, Jesus, have mercy on me when you enter your paradise. His heart was broken. He was contrite. He realized that he was a sinner and he was in the presence of a holy and righteous God and Savior in Jesus Christ. And he cried to him, remember me, remember me when you enter your paradise. And what did the Lord say? Nah, man, you really have done some really bad things. I'm going to leave you there. You need to pay for that sin. What did he say? You can't be saved. You're above. Oh, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. What did he say? Verily I say to you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Let me tell you something. Your good deeds don't save you. You may think you're the worst person in the world. You know what the problem is? The problem is you don't know the other people in here who were saved who are worse than you. But God calls to you today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not a month from now, and said, where are you struggling in your life? I can give you new life in Jesus Christ. My son went to the cross, and those very things that you're contending with, that penalty was placed on him. He paid the price that you should pay. You see all that beating, all that savagery of the cross? That's God's justice against sin. But instead of pouring it out on you, he poured it out on his only son. So that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, listen, it could be drug addiction, alcoholism, I don't really care. Maybe you've been to jail. It does not matter. Today, Today, give your heart to Jesus Christ. 
Turn from your sins. Confess your sins to the Lord. Cry out to God and say, God, have mercy. You know everything about me. You know that I've sinned in ways that I can't even tell you. But I'm calling you today. Come, come, come. Father, forgive me. And you'll find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ will raise you to newness of life. And you'll be raised to a living hope found only in Jesus Christ. I'll close with this question, and this will be my final question. What excuse can you offer as to why you shouldn't repent? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. Peter preached, for there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name among men under heaven by which we must be saved. The apostle Peter cried out, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. At Pentecost, the people, after hearing the gospel message, said, what must we do? And Peter answered this way, repent and turn from your sins that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Will you do this? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But if you have questions, if God through the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and you know you stand alone, will you see me after the service and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you and we'll make some time privately one-on-one where we could talk and I would love to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.